0: We're going to finish uh, Bill's story tonight, and we're on uh, page 12, and we're in the kitchen with him and Ebby, and Ebby's come to see him, and Bill, who's dying of alcoholism and knows it, and is completely defeated, is still fighting the idea of God, a God personal to him, to run his life. And I think that's the problem all of us alcoholics have. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons people don't make it. Uh, somebody said they die on the hyphen in the first step. They can't see that they made their life unmanageable and that they can't manage it anymore. And they still cling to some plan that they have that doesn't include giving up completely. And so uh, he's he's there and he's trying to decide about God. And Ebby says to him, why don't you choose your own conception of God? Now, it's hard to argue with my own conception of God if it's my conception. And my conception of God has changed from when I came in here. And uh, the child, the childhood God of my uh, religious training is not the God I have today. Because that was a God that I couldn't have a personal relationship with. It was a God behind the, uh, the thing up there. And only if you were wealthy and gave a lot of money could you open the thing and get close to it. Uh, he had a book where every year he decided who lived and died. That sounds like a like going to the casino. And uh, uh, it, was, it was distant. It wasn't a God of love. It, I had no relationship with that God. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just the way I saw it. That was my old idea of God. And so I couldn't have a relationship with it. But AA has given me the ability to write my own conception of God, which has changed f- over the years. And, and I feel uh that that my conception of god is available to me all day long and it's there and to me it's just love god is love and he's available to me whenever i seek him and so bill says uh the statement hit me hard it melted the icy intellectual mountain he had built an intellectual mountain and he had lived in the shadow of this intellectual mountain and i think we all do that we live in the in the in the shadow of our intellect and our minds, and our reason, and, uh, and those were old ideas that, uh, that caused me harm. Anybody else relate to that? And we built it. He built that mountain. And he shivered, and he stood in the sunlight at last. So once he was willing to give up completely on the idea that he was going to run the show, and that there was a God available to him, he changed. He had a dramatic change. And a lot of people relate that when they do the third step to get down on their knees, and they're really serious, that when they get off the the knees the first time, they really feel different. And it's only a matter of willing to believe in a power greater than myself. We don't use the word God in the second step. It's a power greater than myself. And to be willing to believe that for an alcoholic is a major, a major change. To truly believe that there's a power greater than me that can run my life, restore me to sanity, see the truth about things. And it says, nothing more was required of me to make my beginning, and that's in italic. Anything in squiggly writing in the big book is really important, I and mean, it's, it's powerful. I saw that growth could start from that point, and we read on page, I think it's 45 or 46, it says, am I willing to believe or do I will believe that there's a power greater than myself? And as soon as I'm willing to believe or I believe, I've, I've, I've made a relationship with God has started. And they talk about that's the cornerstone of the Arch to Freedom, this belief. Now, it's not faith, which confuses people. It's belief. You just believe it. You don't have faith because you don't know if it's true, but you want to believe that it's true. You're believing that this is possible. You're open-minded to the idea that there's a power greater than me that can help me. And then by working the steps, if we have knowledge of that, we know it. And then we have faith. And so there's a difference between belief and faith, and a lot of people want to start with faith, which is knowledge, and you can't do that. You have to start on belief. And that's why people want to know how the story's going to end before they're willing to do it. And we tell you, your story's going to end uh, for you the way it's supposed to if you just start with belief. And so, and he saw upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw, my friend would I have it? Of course I would. So he was completely defeated. We talk about surrender a lot. He was completely defeated. He was willing to believe, and and he started to change. And then he said, and I looked at this line today. It says, Thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. Sounds good, doesn't it? But I believe God is always concerned about me. He's always concerned about me. But what he's saying is that if I'm convinced that God is, and I'm willing to seek him, that's the difference. Remember, it says God can and will if He sought, And we're really just God's seekers. God's always there. It says the highway, uh, the, it says we found on page 46 that God does not make too hard terms for those who seek him. There's no real terms. There's no barrier between me and God except me if I'm willing to seek him. And it says to us the realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive. Never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It is open. We believe to all men. Powerful stuff. And I know that's true. So all we have to do is be willing to believe and seek God, and there's no real hard terms. There's no, and this, this, these three lines that AA gave to the world is, is so powerful because it tells us it's available to anyone. All we have to do is seek God and do these spiritual exercises. And that's why this is a spiritual program and not a religious program. There are no rules here. There's no barriers between us and God, except ourselves. It says, um, at long last I saw, I felt, I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. It's a powerful uh, uh, metaphor. A new world came into view. It's a new world for him because he never really thought that there was a God available to him that he could depend on and rely on managing his life. And that's that that change in direction that we talk about. The real significance of my experience in the cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed and wanted God. Brief, there had been a humble willingness to have him with me, and he came. So he had a spiritual experience in the Winchester Cathedral, he was like 22. But soon, now see if any of you did this, the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. We block God out, God's always been there, and what we do every day in the 10th step is we look where we're blocking God out, and we stop, and we ask to be free of what's blocking us so God can, can, act, we can access that power, we can be in the now with God. And we all have had worldly clamors that blocked him from myself and i set the ball rolling remember we were self-centered self-will run riot and that's what we were and so uh we did it god didn't separate from us god has always been there we separated from god we had conscious separation from god i consciously made a decision to run my life and conscious contact is when i make a conscious decision to contact god and have a relationship and remember uh, uh, Chuck C., the famous speaker in a new paragraph glasses, says our problem is very simple, conscious separation and conscious contact. And he made the point that it, God is everywhere. There's no way where you can get away from God, isn't it? He's got everything and all powerful and everywhere. So how do we separate from God if he's everywhere in my mind? See how, see how insane it is for me to decide that I'm God and run the world? And then we separate, but we're the ones who've moved out. God's always there. And then what we do in recovery with the steps is we move back in the circle with God and the world, and then we feel good. So I feel peace and serenity when I'm in the world with God. And when I'm out there by myself, I'm on my own, it can get pretty ugly. He said, how blind I had been. At the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. Treatment seemed wise for I showed signs of delirium tremens. Now we're going to read, what? One, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs that are just, they're the essence of the the spiritual program, the essence of of the spiritual exercises. They're not read at a lot of meetings, but uh, they should be studied and studied and then see the directions that we have to take. So this is the beginning of the 12th step to the world. And he says there... 'Cause remember he wrote this story in nineteen thirty seven. It was the first story. He wrote this and then he wrote, There is a solution, and then they, they worked on the rest of the book. He says, There in the hospital I humbly offered myself to God. We use the word uh, humility a lot in AA. It's uh it's the it's the opposite of a prideful person and it's the it's the uh, it's the complete understanding of my powerlessness and how I have to seek the power. It's a complete surrender of the self-will. And I think they talk in the sixth step, the humility is the uh, person who's seeking humility is one who wants to grow in the likeness of his creator. And I think that's a that's a great goal. That's what we're supposed to be trying to do. <clears throat> and he, he offered himself to God as I then understood him to do with me as he would. That's the basically the third step, remember? I place myself unreservedly under his care direction. Now, uh, we all try to do that, right? And I place unreservedly under his care direction, 9.30, and at 10 o'clock I'm making a decision based on self. So we have the steps, 10 and 11, on how we do this, how how we follow through on this decision all day long. So it's just a decision, I place myself there, And he says, I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I – the first time he admitted that that of himself he had no power. doesn't mean he's he's worthless. He he has nothing without God. With God, he has everything. And that's the opposite of this man who wrote about how he wanted to arrive and be a success and be uh, the baron of Wall Street and have applause and recognition. He realizes with all that, he's nothing. But when he has God, he has everything, and that's what we learn: that that the the things out there aren't going to make us happy. It's the things in here and our relationship with God. I, I and I I ruthlessly ruthlessly faced my sins, and the sins are the things in me that are blocking me from God. And we we that's the fourth step where we look at our resentments, our fears, our conduct, and became willing to have my newfound friend. Take them away root and branch. Take away my fear, my resentment, my shame and guilt. And take away my character defects, the, the result of my, of my centered life on me. Then I'm self-centered, I'm dishonest, I'm inconsiderate, I'm intolerant, impatient, and I'm full of fear. I have not had a drink since. My schoolmate visited me, this was Ebby, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. So he's doing four and five now. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. They're following through on the inventory process. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals admitting my wrong. Now something's happened to him in in these three lines in that he had resentment and he had hurt or toward whom I had felt resentment, but he doesn't feel it anymore. And now he's willing to approach these individuals admitting his wrong. And that's what we do in step... 4, we look at the uh, why we were angry, what was threatened, and then we say the prayers. God, save me from being angry. God, give me love, patience, and tolerance towards this person. God, give me a kindly, tolerant view of them. And so he was entire willingness, and that's our step 8 and 9, admitting I was wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. This became step eight and nine. It says we do so as long as we don't harm others. But the willingness to make amends and restitution is, is such a freedom from the bondage of self. And I can't explain if you haven't done it. But once you're willing to change your attitude towards all those people you had resentments for, once you've, you've forgiven them and you have a new attitude and you're willing to make amends, then you're free. They have no power over you anymore. And you're not afraid of them and it's great to live in where you're not afraid of people anybody can walk through the door are you afraid to see them if you are you better do your fourth and fifth step and be willing to make amends you don't want to be afraid of anybody anymore because you want to be at one with the world so if you want to be with God in the world you have to do your fourth and fifth step and be willing to make amends to everybody else you're separated And it only takes one or two people to separate you, and that's enough to keep you separated and from having a relationship with God. And so a lot of people think that unfinished amends are the reason that a lot of people uh, drink again. And they haven't finished their amends probably because they haven't done the fourth or fifth step. So it all ties together. It says, uh, I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Now, here's the line I thought about. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, I think what it means is what I used to think was right, I now know I was wrong. And I'm saying yes when I used to say no, and I'm saying no when I used to say yes. And I'm seeing things differently. And so that's a real change in in uh, my attitude. And it says I was to sit quietly when in doubt, and this is on page uh, 86. Seven in the big book, in 11th Step, they talk about, in 86 at the bottom, that uh, during the day I may face doubt or indecision, right? And I'm to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. And so what I used to do was never be doubtful and take action, and then I'd say, gee, look what happened. And so now it's it's a spiritual experience when I know I don't know the right thing. And i pause and i say god i don't know what to do here in fact it's very liberating if you have a problem and you're you're stewing about it and you don't know what to do just say god i don't know the right thought or action here i'm going to give it to you and then it says we relax and take it easy and we wait for the right thought or inspiration and that's a form of humility that i don't really know what's best and when i do that it's amazing how these thoughts just come in there and they say wow Where'd that come from? I used to do it at work all the time. I'd have really tough cases, very tough things to decide. I wouldn't know what to do. So I'd say, well, I'm gonna put this aside. I'd say right there, I'd say, go on, I'm gonna put this aside. I'll think about it later. I'd tell the patients. I said, I'm gonna think about it. I said, this is a tough thing. We got a lot of options. And then like at three or four in the morning, I wake up and it would come to me and, and it was just, it was absolute. you could tell it was the right thought. And so uh, uh, that works and the only time it doesn't work is when I don't sit quietly in doubt and I think I need to make a decision. So a lot of times people ask me what they, what they should do. I said, well, did you ask God yet? Did you pray? Did you uh, ask God and, then, and wait and take it easy and see what happens? Um, people who are in the program don't like that because they want to know right away what to do. And they've already made up their mind. And if I don't agree with them, then I get on their list. That was a joke, by the way. Never, but it's true. <clears throat> Linda's laughing. She knows it's true, right? Never was I to pray for myself, except as my requests bore my usefulness to others. That's another thing. I don't know what's best for me. Remember that uh, Dr. Addick chapter? He says, I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what's best for you. And so uh, we get out of expectations. Uh, but how can I be useful in a situation? God, how can I serve you in this situation? We're going to read uh, Saturday that it says what we must do each day. I must have a vision of God's will for me each day. And so I have to meditate that. What is God's will for me? What is the vision of it? And then how do I fulfill that vision? And it says that's the thought that should come with you all, go with you all the time. So if you have that thought all day long, how can I a uh, vision of what God wants me, his will for me in every situation, your life is going to be good. Now, I made it simple. It's to be loving and tolerant, to be loving, patient, kind, to bring love in every situation. Now Having said that, I don't always do it because I'm a human being, but I recognize it. And then I try to stop. It says, um, then only might I expect to receive. You see, you can't expect to receive unless you're giving, but that would be in great measure. We get much more than we than we think we can when we start out. The power that we get is is so is, it's not, it's hard to explain that somebody hasn't done it. But the, what we get is so much greater than anything we could have thought we could have. And we have we have such a p- access to power that you can't explain to other people. And uh, it said, "My friend promised." Now look at this. This is a promise that when these things were done I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator now uh, the thing that's promised is that I have to do these things it says "Really, have we seen a person fail has thoroughly followed our path when these things are done I'm going to be in a new relationship with my creator now why is that important because the whole point of of the program is to have a spiritual awakening to have a relationship with God and it's a relationship in which God is God and I'm I'm uh, his child, and he's my father, and he's my director. And, and I seek him constantly for direction and power. And when I do that, my life is really good. And my old relationship was I was God, and I asked God for help to help me play God. It sounds ridiculous, but that's, that's what we do. We don't realize it. I'm playing God. I know what I want. God, help me get this. Then if we don't get it, then we're mad at God. And so uh, that that was not a and then that was access to no power, except self power, and that got me in, my life was a mess. And it says when I have this new relationship, now look at this, I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Now it says on I think it's page 45. It says lack of power is our dilemma, and it's a dilemma because we knew we had lack of power, but we didn't know how to find it. And says, well, that's what this book is all about. It's how you find a power to live. So we want a power so we can live a spiritual life. And when I'm living w- with God in a spiritual life, I get the answer to all my problems. Because what happens is I don't have problems anymore unless I make them a problem. I have situations. So when I'm, I'm, I have a right relationship with God, I have a situation. And, I, and God says, I say to God, what do I do in this situation? And that's a serenity prayer. What do I have to change? What do I have to accept? But when I don't have the right relationship in the element of living, I can't see that. I see problems. So somebody told me I have a good day. Jim told me I have a good day. So I said I'm the only person that could keep me from having a good day, which is true. Every day should be good. And so, uh, and it says, here's, here's the requirements. See if this is too hard. All you have to believe in the power of God, plus enough willingness, not just willingness, but enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things. So I want to establish this new order, and then I want to maintain it in, in 10 and 11, and all I need to do is have willingness, honesty, and humility. It says, are you willing to go to any length? You see? And if I have enough honesty, willingness, and humility to do the deal, then I'll maintain and this new order of things. It says simple it's pretty simple isn't it but not easy it's hard it's hard a price had to be paid it means the destruction of self-centeredness and remember it says selfishness self-centeredness that's the root of our problems we must be rid of it remember it's going to kill us anybody ever read that and it says we had to have god's help i can't do it i can't destroy my own self-centeredness and so i have to Do these steps and take these actions to destroy my self-centeredness. These spiritual exercises uh, bring God into the center of my life, and they move me out of the center of my life. So that's all steps four through nine do. They take us out of playing God. They take us into the right relationship with God. And in 10 and 11, we stay in that right relationship, and we want our self-centeredness destroyed. Like Ed said so well yesterday, the 10th step is where I see self-centeredness coming in. And then we stop all day long and we watch for that. We ask God it once to remove it. And we have, uh, we have certain exercises. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. And I think the Father of Light is in the book of James. And uh, to the Father of Light who presides over us all. It doesn't say I must turn money to the Father of Light but keep uh, the job. It doesn't say I should turn my relationship over to Father of Light but keep the money. I turn everything over to the Father Light because he, he presides over all. And that's where we learn how we deal with fear. Remember fear is when we're relying on self and we're managing some area of our life. It says these were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. It was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. Now, there are blogs where people say that Bill W. was having DTs, and when he did all this, and his vision, and they make fun of it, there are people who are skeptical, uh, who are not alcoholics, but if you go on the internet, you can see some of this. But uh, what I think happened was, God had to have someone who was so changed that they couldn't stop from going out and spreading the message. And it's just, to me, it's like Saul on the Damascus highway. God needed to come to someone in such a powerful way that they couldn't help but change and spread the message. And Joe and Charlie make this point that if Bill W. hadn't had the spiritual experience and it was so profound, he never would have made it six months to meet Dr. Bob. And he wouldn't have stopped in the Mayfire Hotel in May of 1935 when he was going into the bar because he heard the noise and it was a gay place and he had no money and he'd lost his business and he was, he was going to go there just to listen to the music. Believe that one. <laughs> but as he crossed the threshold, what happened? God said to him, you need to go and you need to find another alcohol to talk to. And he had stayed sober till that moment, and then he found Dr. Bob, and we're here today. So think about that. And so he had a profound experience. Now, they, they wrote the, uh, the uh, spiritual experience in the back of the second book, a second edition, because a lot of people thought if they didn't have this spiritual experience, they weren't doing it right. But we now talk about the spiritual experience it can be suddenly or it can be gradually. But like Sandy Beach says, whenever it comes, it's suddenly. So it may come more gradually to some people, it may come dramatically. It comes to me when I change and stop my self-centered thinking and say, I, I don't want to be angry here. I'm judging. It, it comes to me when I have fear and I say, I don't want to have fear here. I, I don't want to run this area of my life. It can be these kinds of experience. You can have them all day long. When you see your self-centeredness and you say, I want you, God, to come in and help me change. So he went to the doctor to see if he was still sane, and the next paragraph says, something has happened to you but I don't understand, but you better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. Now this next line is really profound because he's laying in the hospital, he's worked the steps, he's just gone through the DTs, he's just a few few days sober, but he thought of the thousands of hopeless alcoholics. You see how he's completely He's completely changed. This man was totally absorbed with himself, and now he's thinking how he can help all these people and give what was so freely given to him. Perhaps I could help some of them. They in turn might work with others. He could already see this this powerful thing that he'd been given and how it could work and it could change uh, people's lives. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. We don't talk that about that enough. Well, the 12th step is like going to other people and and sharing your experience, but the 12th says we have to practice these principles in all our affairs. Because if I don't practice the principles in all my affairs, I can't be of help to anyone. And it says, particularly, it was an imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead. And that's several places in the big book. So if I have faith, then it'll be seen through my works. And if I have true faith, you'll see it in my behavior. And then the more I do my behavior, I'll have more faith. And if I stop doing it, then I don't have true faith anymore. I'm back in the self. How upon be true for the alcoholic! For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life, and this is uh, in uh, Jim's story, remember? It says he admitted he was an alcoholic, he'd taken the third step, but then he got drunk. And it says he had failed to enlarge and perfect the spiritual life, and that's more about alcoholism. Through work and self-sacrifice for others. It doesn't say alcoholics. So my spiritual life should be of constant service to God and others. Remember it says on page 77, our real purpose is not just to to, uh, put our lives in order, but it's to fit myself maximally to be of service to God and others. And if he did not work he could surely drink again, and if he drank he would surely die, then faith would be dead indeed. And then um, it talks about him and his wife, uh, they tried to help other alcoholics, they had people die in their house. Uh, He went uh, uh, six months uh, uh, where he couldn't get anybody sober. He went to uh, Dr. Silkworth, he says, I I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. He says, well, you're preaching to them and telling them they have to have a spiritual experience. Instead of describing how you were, how you had the obsession to drink, you were powerless to control how much you drank, you took these actions and then you changed. And so, and then Willis said to him, well, you know, you haven't helped anybody, but you're sober. And he remembered that when he was in the Mayflower Hotel. And he knew that if he wanted to stay sober, he had to try to help someone else. Um, they talk about uh, he'd go out to the hospital in despair. He would be amazing, lifted up instead of my feet. Now, at the end of page 15 on that first paragraph, says, it's a design for living that works in rough going. Uh, I believe that. It says, uh, if we stay close to God and we, play and we uh, perform his works well then we can handle calamity with serenity. And um, that's the uh, line that I saw when they called and told me my son died on page 67. I could see it in the book. It said, um, uh, we ask, um, just to the extent that I do as I think he would have me and humbly rely on him on page 68, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? There's nothing that we can't handle with God's power. And it says on page 100, if we, uh, if we follow the dictates of a higher power, we live in a new and wonderful world no matter the circumstances. So we're not dependent on the circumstances of our lives th- to be okay. We can be okay no matter the circumstances. And it says they commence to make uh, fast friends and fellowship. The joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty, there's a joy of being alive when you're living a spiritual life. They talk about families who've been uh, put in uh, together, domestic situations, righted. Um, It says here on the bottom of page 15, there's scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. And then uh, on the next page, at informal gatherings one may often see from 50 to 200 people. And I think we had 40 people here yesterday. This is just in Topeka. And so uh, they end this story, and it's very powerful, and then we'll have time to open up. An alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. That's an that's a understatement. Our struggles, and our struggles with alcoholics are variously strenuous, comic, and tragic. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. Could not or would not. Now that's in, uh, some people are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And they couldn't see the truth about their situation, so they would not accept our way of life. And, and the thing we've learned, and I uh, heard people agreeing, if they, wanna, they don't want to accept our way of life, there's nothing we can say that's going to convince them. And, and we have to move on until they're defeated enough. Only when they're defeated enough will they be willing to listen. He says, there is a vast amount of fun about it all. Uh, we laugh at things here that other people think it's just, what are they laughing about? you know somebody buys a new car and wrecks it that day and we're all laughing and you know it seems funny to us but it's not funny to normal people they don't understand Um, faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish faith has to work not belief but faith so the faith the knowledge of God has to work 24-hour days in and through us and the faith produces the knowledge of God that works in and through me and if we do that, then then we're okay. If not, we're going to perish. We'll have a spiritual separation. Most of us feel we need lo- look no further for utopia. We have it with us right here and now. Each day, my friend, simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. Now, we see it today, right? We're here today. Now, look at the date. When did he die? 71. And then he wrote this in 1937. And he and this story took place, his spiritual transformation, nineteen thirty-five. doesn't that tell you something? So they put this story here before they got to there as a solution. So you would read this and you'd want to go on as an alcoholic, and you want to do the rest of the deal. So I'll turn this up, we'll open it up. Uh, I have to figure out how to turn it off.